Okay. Well, thank you again for coming on. I guess it makes the most sense to perhaps start with, tell us a little bit about where you are today. Are you in Texas? I am. Yes. We're in Dallas, Texas. We've been here for about four years now. We moved from Houston um, before that, and we're just loving this area. So you told me a little bit about your background, and you mentioned that you were originally in oil and gas, so you come from a corporate background. Tell us a little bit about that. I think that transition, like I've gone through it too, and it can be really wonderful and also really challenging, but tell us your story. How did you get to where you are today? Yeah, so I graduated college with a five-year degree to get my CPA as a certified public accountant and got my master's in marketing. So I started working for one of the big four accounting companies and after two years was not getting any sleep and couldn't stand what I was doing. <laughs> so decided to look for more of a industry job, um, you know, in the finance and accounting world. And being in Houston at the time, uh, really the two big industries there are healthcare and oil and gas. And oil and gas has wonderful benefits uh, over healthcare. So I decided to go that route. And I was at an oil and gas company in Houston for about seven years, moved around to a lot of different positions within the company from accounting to finance, internal audit. And then when we moved to Dallas, um, I got another job in the oil and gas industry for a couple of years before deciding to go full-time with my business. So I do own a small uh, sleep coaching agency. And I started that business back in 2015 after my daughter was born. Uh, working a corporate job and having a new baby is so challenging. Mm -hmm. <laughs> it is not mm -hmm. something that I really understood before having children. Yeah. I, I remember thinking like, oh, she's going out on maternity leave. Like she has three months of vacation. Wouldn't that be nice? Right. <laughs> right. <laughs> I went through I remember maternity leave too. myself. Oh yeah. It is no vacation at all. Yeah. It is tough, tough, tough. And my daughter didn't sleep and we were up just the whole night. And maybe I'd get like 20 minutes of broken sleep here and there throughout the night. And we went on like that for six months. By the time she turned six months, I mean, I had just reached my breaking point and was willing to try almost anything, um, but I didn't want to let her cry it out. So when I learned that there was more gentle methods out there that I, I didn't need to let her do that, um, I was like, well, let's give it a shot. At this point, what do we have to lose? And she was sleeping through the night by night three and our lives were just changed forever. Oh, it felt like it. And I yeah. had so much more energy. Her personality just flourished and Aww. it was wonderful. So I decided, why not, why not start this? I, I did a program online mm -hmm. and I thought, wouldn't it have been nice to have some one-on-one -on -one support as I was going through this rather than just a program that was pretty general, but I mean, it, it worked for me, but there's a lot of people that just need a little bit more one-on-one -on -one support and want a plan that's really going to be customized for them. So I decided to start a sleep coaching business and started it in Houston again back in about 2015 and have since grown it to a team of 10. It's phenomenal. And Congratulations. Yeah, thank you. It's, it's really great. And I was able to say goodbye to my corporate job too. Um, back in the crazy days of March of 2020, if you might recall what was going on at that time. That is a wild time to have done what you did. Yeah, yeah. It, everything worked out the way that it was meant to. I've 
I've always wanted to do this full time, but it's kind of, it's really scary taking that leap from corporate to Mm -hmm. really going all out and doing entrepreneur stuff, not having the benefits anymore. Um, But yeah, in March of 2020, oil and gas just along with a lot of other industries, it just tanked. And my company, um, you know, had to let a lot of people go. And I was part of that downsizing. And so after getting laid off, I was like, all right, well, this is my time. Like, do I go back and get another corporate job? Or do I go all in? And my kids are at home, they can't go to daycare right now. They were two and three at the time. Um, I had I think a week or two during COVID that we kind of overlapped with the corporate job and having the kids at home. And it was just so hard. Yeah, um, so yeah I it was. Decided, we did the same thing. We know. Yeah, well, yes. it's, it's tough. <laughs> it is. So it was like, I, I couldn't really balance that corporate very well with having a family, you know, at home with small kids and decided, all right, let's give this a year. Um, at that time, I, I had a team of, um, I think it was just three of us because I had two girls in Houston. Um, that I kind of needed to take over my market there once we had moved to Dallas. And yeah, within a year, uh, like business had basically doubled and uh, ended up hiring, you know, a lot more team members and just can't believe where we're at right now and really looking forward to growing even more as time goes on. Yeah, that's phenomenal growth really quick. So for people who are thinking about going out on their own, just looking back and being really very close to that transition time, what would you, is there anything that you would have done differently? Although it sounds like it's been such a success, but looking back at it and by the way, like hiring like that is not easy, especially when it sounds like you went out on your own and hired right away, which is super smart, but not a lot of people do that. They'll wait however long they need to, to build up and then hire on. And I know, and you work with consultants. We actually do too. So it is a little different. We know how that goes, but just tell us a little bit about like, how did your decision making around both transitioning and even through the lens of what you might, might do differently. Yeah. So I think what I probably would have done differently is started hiring even sooner, not just the the two team members that I hired in Houston, but started to expand more regionally and nationally sooner as well. Uh, I had heard the advice, you want to hire before you're ready, and was just so scared of that because I just kept thinking like, well, what if I don't have enough business to give these people that I'm hiring? Like, I would just feel like a terrible, <laughs> you know, manager. Yeah. But but it's it's something that I've learned that if you have the skills to be able to teach them how to be successful, how to, how to teach the people on your team to be successful, generate some business on their own while still being able to, um, you know, give them some that it's, it's, it is something that you should look into, uh, doing before you, before you get overwhelmed and have too much work because having that little team of three or so during COVID, um, once things started expanding, I was working a lot and it was, I would wake up early to try to do some work before the kids got up. I would stay up late and do a lot of work once they were in bed. Um, And it was just hard to balance kind of that work-life balance, whatever life there was back in COVID. Yeah. (laughs) But it it was still, um, it was a challenge and and spending enough time with my husband um, because 
pretty much as soon as the kids were in bed, I was like, all right, see ya. I've got hours <laughs> of work to do here. Yeah. Um, so yeah, I think that hiring before you're ready is really something that I wish I would have taken that advice before yeah. um, I got a little overwhelmed. Something I really struggle with as it relates to managing those people that you hire is the balance, like you said, of feeling like you need to put the put the boots on and do the hard work and they're there to support you. But then there's that feeling of like, well, I'm giving them the work. What am I supposed to do? There's that, there's that part of my brain. And then the other part of my brain is battles between the work itself and then the management of the team and how much time that really takes. Do you have any advice for people now that you're at 10 employees? Do you have any advice for people who are in your position, the balance between the work itself and the admin and the management of that team? Yeah. So I found with the work itself, what I needed to do was this, this might be a little bit different than, you know, other people's business models, but with mine, I realized I needed to somehow differentiate myself from the rest of my team because there was just such a demand, you know, my name was out there and people wanted to work directly with me and my prices were exactly the same as the rest of my team members. So would you want to work with the founder who has six years of experience or someone who's just started? So I found the way to differentiate myself from the rest of the team was to increase my prices. And that took a little bit of burden off of the actual one-on-one consulting that I was doing. And it was able to give more to my team members too. And then every client that I got, I was making a lot more than I would have, you know, otherwise. Mm -hmm. So I think that, finding a way to somehow decrease one of those workloads. And for me, it was the one-on-one client workload um, was a a good way for me to be able to actually focus on growing the business even more, be able to focus on doing more marketing that not only helped me, but all my team members as well. Um, And then be able to do some more, just just sit down and think about other things that I can do and how I can improve my hiring process going forward so that you can just streamline it um, as much as possible. And that's kind of what I'm working on right now is figuring out with my next group of hires how I can make that training process um, a lot more automated so that I'm not having to spend a few days doing one-on-ones and then just answering questions what can feel like left and right everything. Yeah. 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 (laughs) Well, so I have a quick question. When you are working with your consultants and your team members, when do you know that it's not a good fit? Has that happened yet for you? And what has that been like? Yeah. So what I've tried to make my hiring process uh, to where, you know, I get to know them as much as possible because I feel like people can learn things, right? You can learn the technical side of almost anything. If you're dedicated, if you have a passion for it, um, but is it ultimately the right fit? And that's where I feel like having uh, some Zoom interviews where you're just chatting and feel like, you know, is this vibe right? Are you going to be the right fit for my team? I've I've kind of started doing that with my last round of um, hires. And I've really liked having more of just that, open chat and then having like a second interview where it's more targeted questions that I'm asking. Um, But yeah, I did have one team member uh, who, you know, we just kind of mutually decided that it wasn't a good fit a few years in Um, just things kind of changed in her life where 
she didn't have the same amount of time that she had before and had more kids. And it just wasn't really something that she was able to put in as much effort um, as she was before. So it was something we just scheduled a call to talk about what she what her ultimate goals are. And, and the final decision was that, you know, it, it just made sense for everybody that we parted ways. Yeah. Yeah. Those are, those are hard discussions, but they're so important. And it's always interesting to hear how different people navigate them and how willing they are to ha- even have them. Because we do find that a lot. I mean, I'm sure we all have throughout our career that there are certain managers who just don't want to have those hard conversations and other managers who maybe want to have them too often. And you just, it's like, it's like, where is that happy medium? Let's talk about your failures. Yeah, oh. exactly. Oh, no. <laughs> exactly. Like, oh, it's going to be one of those. Great. Uh, yeah. Right. Oh, I've got a million questions. I can wait though. Well, I just want to make sure we go back to the money side of this story and get to hear a little bit about your personal finance focus and how that played into all of this. And you can go back as far as you like. Like some people start these stories at their childhood because it played, I think money plays a role for all of us and our childhoods, obviously, Um, or maybe in your marriage. But where did that sort of start and how did it um, enter in at the beginning of this entrepreneurship journey? Yeah, it's funny. My relationship with money has always been that I I want to make sure that we're going to be stable. My parents were both uh, raised on farms up in Canada way back in the day. And they, they grew up in these really small rural towns and there wasn't very many opportunities for them. Um, my, my dad was number seven of 11 and my mom was number nine of nine. <laughs> there was lots of kids wow. in the family and a lot of people just get stuck when, and, and there's just not opportunities to be able to go out and find a great career. Um, but my mom was determined to make something of herself. And she was one of the first ones in her family to go out and go to college and met my dad there. And she just always instilled in me that you don't want to have to rely on somebody else to take care of you. Um, Cause she just saw a lot of situations where, you know, people would get married, it would not work out. And if the husband was working, the wife wasn't left with very much. And so she, I, I was um, one of three girls and so just raising us, she was always just talking about how it was important for us to be able to make our own money and be able to support ourselves as we got older. Yeah. Um, so that was something that just kind of always stuck with me. And as I was in college, I was thinking about, well, what can I do to actually start this journey? I'm about to come out and, um, you know, I'll be making real money for the first time in my life. What am I going to do with this money once it comes in? I know a lot of my friends are excited about buying their first car and (laughs) going on that great trip they've always wanted to go on. But I want to start saving now because I, I just don't know what the future is going to bring. And I started my career in the fall of 2008, which I'm sure you can remember was not a good time. I think a month after I started that layoffs had already started going. So um, again, it was just kind of in my mind. I just, the, the future is so uncertain. I want to be able to have a good nest egg and feel comfortable, not only today, but in the future. 
because I don't know if social security is going to be around by the time I retire. Uh So I just got really excited about looking into personal finance and figuring out what I could do as soon as I started my job to start saving for the future. Um, And I learned about uh, IRAs, Roth IRAs, and of course, with uh, 401ks. Now at that time that I graduated, my husband and I had just got married. He was in the army and I was working at big four public accounting. So between the two of us, we were not bringing in very much money. I think maybe between the two of us, it was like 65, 70,000. But I was determined that we were going to max out every single account that we possibly could. So we put in the, at that time, it was like $5,000 into our Roth IRAs and maxed out my 401k. Um, And we we didn't do anything with the military because just the way that our investments worked, it it just made more sense to put that money into my 401k at the time. Um, And that's what we were doing ever since uh, that first month that I started my job, we've been maxing out our IRAs and putting everything that we can into those 401ks. And once we finally had him leave the army um, and start start working, he's a pharmacist now, so we had four years of school for him too. Um, but at that point, we finally had money left over that it wasn't just everything's going to retirement. Now we can max out these accounts and have a little bit of money left over. What are we going to do with this? Mm-hmm. And um, oh gosh, that was back, I think before, definitely before my daughter was born back in about 2013. And we bought our first house in Houston at that time. And my husband had read Dave Ramsey's book mm-hmm. and he was very adamant about using that extra money that we had left over after all of our retirement accounts to put towards the house so that we would be completely debt-free. And me being, you know, an accountant and thinking about the taxes, I was like, no, but you get the tax benefit of, you know, having, having a house. Like, I don't know about this. Like the mortgage is a good thing. Um, But he had me read the book and we finally agreed upon um, going ahead and, and putting all of that extra money after retirement savings into the house. So um, we ended up moving to Dallas before we could pay off that house, but we had a nice chunk to be able to put about 40% down on the house when we bought it here in Dallas Mm -hmm. and um, just continued that philosophy uh, once we moved here. And with my severance that I got from my corporate job in 2020, we were able to completely pay off our house here and be 100% debt free, which feels amazing because that is financial independence. You know, we've got no more debt. We've got money saved up for retirement. We've been saving up for, Oh, I don't know, 15 years now or so. Um, And I feel very happy with where we're at. And at this point, it's just, we just need to to make it more, you know, month to month until retirement. And what we've got in there at this point, we we don't really need to be putting too much more in. So right. that feels yeah. really good. Yeah, I bet it does. That's exciting. So are you looking at a the classic retirement age of like 60 to 65? Or are you all aiming for something sooner? That's a good question. So when I think of retirement, to me, that kind of means not having that corporate responsibility. And while I've been able to say goodbye to the corporate life myself, my husband still does work as a pharmacist. And it's 
it is just very reassuring still knowing that we have those um, the health insurance, right? That's the big one in the US. Um, and then, you know, the benefits that go with it, like having an HSA and um, the 401k and everything. Um, but I think our ultimate goal is to be able to have him be able to step back from that and be able to focus more so on the business and doing that together because he is one of the, the 10 people on our team. Um, me and the nine others, we do... Uh, pediatric sleep consulting, but he is our adult sleep consultant. So it kind of goes hand in hand with pharmacy, getting rid of, you know, the yeah. pills that people might take to oh, get to sleep. Oh, yes. For sure. So it's, it's a really good fit. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And so our goal is just to get to the point where we're able to have him be able to take that step back from his corporate job and come on full time with me so that we can just, you know, work day to day together. And, um, you know, I haven't really thought about succession planning at this point as to when I'll be able to just, you know, fully give up the company. But once he retires um, from that corporate job, I'd like to get the business to the point where it is so automated that I've got people doing, you know, all the jobs I'm currently doing now. I talked about having one of my senior consultants, you know, work on the training, I'll have somebody else do more of the marketing that I'm focusing on a lot more right now. Um, And just be able to delegate more of those roles so that I'm working more of that four hour work week. And to me, like a four hour work week, I'm happy to work that until I'm 55, 60. Right. Absolutely. Yeah, I think a lot of us grew a lot of us grew up with our parents' generation and the classic tale of like somebody works a corporate job their entire life, they retire for two years, and then they get a job. <laughs> yep. <laughs> a, a quick background about me: so I'm a musician, I'm a composer, and when I retire, quote unquote, I'm never actually going to stop. It, it, to me, it is freedom, like you're saying. It is like I get to choose: is it two hours a week or four hours a week? whenever I want is retirement to me. So I wonder for you, is it is it a similar thing where the, the word retire just means the freedom of choosing your day, choosing your week, and that automating of your business being the real key to that retiring? Yeah. And I think retirement is just really about thinking about the things that you truly enjoy doing. And it's something that I believe people should think about now rather than when that time comes and you're actually retired. Because I, I do hear of a lot of people who retire and then decide to go back to work a year or two later because they're so bored. <laughs> they just don't know what to do with their days. But after I left my corporate job and my kids have gone back to school now, I've just I've been able to rediscover some of those things that I was able to enjoy as when I was in my youth, like tennis and pickleball, going swimming, um, going out with friends, just going for walks. Those kinds of things really, really make me happy. And being able to spend real quality time with my children, just it's so priceless to me. And as we get older and they have grandkids, I want to be able to be there to be able to spend that time with them as well. So I think that's just something that people should think about is what ultimately makes you happy and what, what you would wake up being enthused and be able to find joy with every day. Yeah. I love that. That's a good way to look at it. So 
Let's talk a little bit about your asset allocation, which I think it's so wonderful that we get to talk to a, a CPA and an entrepreneur and somebody like you that's really unique. Tell us a little bit about, to whatever you're, you're comfortable discussing it, what your asset allocation is, and then even perhaps more importantly, what maybe you looking back would have either done differently or said like, yes, that was a big home run for us. You've obviously been very successful. What has what has um, benefited that portfolio so greatly in your opinion? Yeah. Other so, than the bull run. <laughs> right. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, right now I would say like our house is about a third of our equity. And then uh, the majority of everything else is in stocks and bonds right now. Um, unfortunately, I would say like the last few weeks have not been so good. That's true. Um, yeah. For but, exactly. But I would say... Um, yeah, so I kind of have like a, I'd say about an 80% stock and about a 20% bond allocation right now. And I've worked with, I guess, three corporations over my career, and my husband has as well. And when we left those jobs, what we did not do was roll over our 401ks into our IRAs immediately. I actually didn't do that until last year. And that was, I think, the thing that I would have done differently because imagine trying to manage, I, I try to do rebalancing and everything on a quarterly basis. Um, and you've got those six different accounts plus our IRAs. And it's a lot of moving mm -hmm. pieces to try to figure out what the right allocation is going to be. Um, and we've got like our, our personal brokerage uh, set up through uh, Vanguard, which I am the biggest advocate of their index funds because you have such low expenses. Uh, so that's what we eventually moved all those uh, 401ks over to was to those IRAs so that we could take advantage of the much lower expenses than we were incurring in the 401ks. I have a similar regret about my rollover happening about a year ago. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> so we were on the same timeline. Yeah. <laughs> they make it, for us, the experience with rollovers has been really different from company to company. Like one was really easy and then the other one I feel like dragged out and dragged out and they made it really, really challenging and it became this time suck and yep. really frustrating. Yeah. I mean, honestly, you you just hit the nail on the head of, of something I want to make sure we leave to our kids, and that is don't be passive about it. Like the time you need to be active is as early as you can. And I think that's the thing I would have told an earlier me um, as it relates to rollover and things like that. So let's talk about rebalancing really quickly. So I don't, I think that this is something that, well, for the most part, I think people who are in personal finance and managing their own portfolio like us, we don't have your background. So I think people rebalance. I don't know. I, I, I doubt it. I highly doubt that happens very often when someone's solely managing their accounts. I can tell you I don't rebalance, which I probably should. But So tell us a little bit about what that should look like. And would you say like, don't ever do this on your own. Go to a personal you know, advisor, a finance advisor. Or would you say like, this is how I'd go about doing it? Yeah. So rebalancing is actually really easy. What rebalancing means is I was talking about how my stocks, I want to keep at, at this point in my life about a 80% stocks and about 20% bonds. And then I have, you know, my domestic versus international with those as well. 
So every time a stock or a bond makes money, one of your, uh, that allocation is going to get a little bit out of whack. Like let's say my stocks do really well over the last few months. Well, they haven't been, let's say my stocks do really bad (laughs) and my bonds do really well. And in that case, every quarter, I just kind of go in and look at, well, now my stocks are at about 75% of my total allocation and my bonds are at 15%. I need to get that back to that 80-20. So in order to do that, I need to take some out of my bonds and put that towards my stocks. And again, do that right allocation between the international and domestic as well. So they do make it really easy these days because um, I know with both Vanguard and Fidelity, they have the ability to just set that up to do it automatically. So you can tell them like, I want to get to this, you know, 80-20 between stocks and bonds. And I want this much in my international and this much in my domestic. And every quarter, it'll automatically do that for you. Um, so it's, it's really easy through that automation, or I just have a very easy spreadsheet that I set up that just basically runs those calculations and allows me to be able to just, um, change those allocations as need be. I just put a reminder on my calendar, like basically it's whenever my quarterly taxes are due, like, all right, let's sit down for a day and today's going to be tax day and it's going to be my personal finance day. I'm going to look at paying all the taxes and figure out, you know, what I owe there. And then also sit down and and look at what I need to rebalance within all of those accounts to get that total number back to what I want it to be. That's awesome. Um, I know when you're climbing a ladder, it's really easy to focus on the next rung. And when you're saving money, it's really easy to do the same thing. Have you struggled with, have you and your husband struggled with, okay, we're putting all of our attention into retirement and our current lifestyle and our current cars and our current house. None of that matters. Let's just focus on the end goal. Have you had to deal with the struggle of life balance versus retirement in your life? How have you overcome those feelings? What's your advice to people who are on a financial mission but also we're living in the meantime. Yeah. So what we did with our budget was we always put in a discretionary line item every month so that we didn't feel like we couldn't do things that we wanted to do. And at the end of every month, everything left over. um, And we might've had some money left over from that discretionary fund that went into our house and our retirement. So we never had like a set, we're going to put in like $5,000 every single month. Um, it was always whatever's left over, like that's what we'll do. And um, it, it just allowed us to be able to, you know, live a lot more happier to where we didn't feel like we're, we're on a budget, even though we are. Yeah. Um, I like hearing that because so many people in this space are suffering. They're in, in, that can actually be a really noble pursuit and a noble reason to suffer in the meantime. But it's nice to hear somebody, we live a little bit more like that where we're like, whatever's left at the end is what we, and we get ambitious about that. We have big goals for our savings, but we do pretty much live how we want to live. And then um, we live frugally, but we live first and then what's left is what goes towards savings. That's great. And I think it changes as you get older as well. Because when we first started our careers, you know, it was, we, we, we did live a lot more frugally and there really wasn't very much left over at the end. So 
as as we got older and we were we started making you know more money with our jobs and our careers, then that allowed us that opportunity to be able to have a lot more extra wiggle room in that budget. But I think you know, especially with people coming out of college and they're young and in their twenties, if you're able to just just sustain the lifestyle that you've been on and and not take that next step up, just waiting like a year or two extra can really help to build up that next nest egg and save for retirement so that just a few years later, you can start stepping it up and, and living life a little bit, you know, more, more how you want to. Yeah. By the way, are you for your, um, estimation around when you'll retire, are you leaning on the 4% rule or is there anything else that you'd recommend when people are trying to calculate what they'll need to retire on and if they'll meet that goal? Yeah, I'll be honest, that 4% rule is just what I follow. I just want to keep it as simple as possible. And um, I've, I've been looking into kind of stuff in the FIRE community the last few years. And that's just what I found to be the thing that a lot of people are using and what we're using for our calculations as well. Yeah. So one of the questions that we hear a lot about is, especially from the younger generation who are either partnering up or marrying, um, they ask about how we handle our finances. And I can say, which I think is so funny because for us, we were so, we didn't have any money. So we were like, put it all together because you just want it to grow faster. So we were more interested in like, let's just get the money going than um, really divvying it up like fairly. Um, like you, there wasn't much left after at the end of the day, those that decades ago. So anyways, um, but yeah, how have you viewed it and how do you, what, both like, what do you guys do as a family? And then also what do you recommend for people and young, young kids who ask about this? Yeah. So we just do it. My husband and I have joint accounts and we just do it as a family unit. Um, I mean, if there's like ever anything extra that he wants to buy that month, then okay, that's fine. But next month, I'm going to get that purse that I want or whatever it is. <laughs> next so, month, I get two. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And, and it's something that um, I think everybody has their different level of materialism and what they want to go out and buy. My husband, you know, in his family, he was very much raised to where when money comes in, it goes out and you buy whatever you want to buy. So it was interesting trying to teach him, <laughs> you know, what I bet. What, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> but he was a fast learner. Um, but even these days he still has things that he wants to buy that I'm like, really? But you know what? Like that kind of stuff, like that makes you happy. It to me, I don't need it, but if it really does make you happy, like we'll have a little bit of a budget in there for you to be able to get that stuff. That's I think that, that's the key to all of it. I love it. I love how you phrased that last bit because I think people have a tremendous amount of guilt either being like a miser or a spender. It's like everybody, everybody is a little bit of both. And yeah. there are things that you dig and things you don't dig. And for me, it was a it was a huge revelation looking at our monthly expenses and going, holy crap, I don't even care that much about coffee. Why am I spending so much on it? Like I could put all of that into something I'm really into or cars. Like I, I don't care about a car personally, but a lot of people are into that as a hobby. Great. Go spend your money there. That's the thing I love about the fire community. And the thing that, that finally she convinced me to be a part of this kind of thinking is 
if you're working so hard for your dollars, make sure you're spending them on the things that enrich you, not the the corporate mechanism of um, of life in America nowadays, where it's just subscriptions left and right. Make sure you're putting that money that you've hard earned, put it where it needs to go. Exactly. That's really well said. So I want to come back really quickly to your asset allocation and just get your input on what you what do you recommend or you can do it share through your own lens and how you um, distribute your portfolio. But are you relying really heavily on bonds and index funds like the S- that track the S&P 500 like BTSAX or are you buying individual stocks? And I think you mentioned international funds too. So how do you all set that up? Or you're welcome to just share through what you'd recommend. Yeah. So, I mean, I just had a one-on-one phone call with um, advisors from Vanguard and just got their very simple opinions as to what we should do with our allocations. And so we just use the, basically it's, it's two different um, like index funds that one is their domestic index fund and one's the international one. And then they have the same things for the bonds. And so I just kind of followed their advice with where they recommended putting that. And we just have them in four accounts within Vanguard. So it makes it really easy for those allocations and rebalancing too. Yeah, that's really smart. I don't think mm-hmm. I've ever talked to anybody who's like, I just called up Vanguard and was like, tell me what to do. It's really <laughs> yeah, smart. They, I mean, it's a free oh, service. Like yeah. you're giving them just your it. money. So that's right. It, I'm sure. going to do it. I'm going to call them up and get, really get their funny. opinion. I think that's really smart. Yeah. So for those, another question that gets brought up a lot for people who are transitioning from the corporate world into their entrepreneurial journey is how much money they should have on hand in cash as they make that transition. So did you, is that something, I guess you had a second income coming in, but is that something you thought about a lot or uh, did you want a um, stockpile of cash on hand to kind of get you through for a little while? And if so, how much? Um, And then of course, what do you recommend? Yeah. So that, that's the reason why I started my company while I still had my corporate job. I just didn't know like, what, what is the chance that this business will be able to actually replace my income one day. When I started it, I didn't think it would. I thought it was just a little side hustle that I'd be doing. Um, But as I continued to stick with it, I was like, wow, I really like doing this and I can make this work as a full-time thing. Uh, But just being, I guess, a little bit more risk adverse, that's what I really liked doing was starting that company while still working full-time. So that if it didn't work out, then I still had that corporate job to be able to go back to. Um, Also, I mean, I'm not going to lie, being married to somebody who still has a corporate job, that is also very reassuring once you go through that transition, knowing that if if I was not able to make this work full-time, we're still going to be able to have enough. And work. we worked our budget around let's say we only have your income. Like, let's say it's just a terrible month and I don't make anything this month. Like, can we actually live off of your income? And so we rebudgeted and and sat down and and for a long time, like we we were on a lot lower budget the first few months that I went full in with the job. So I, I do like to have money set aside 
I know, I think like with Dave Ramsey, I think he says about like three months of expenses you want to have. I, I just wanted to at least double that, <laughs> but we had about like nine months of expenses by the time we decided to go like all in with my business and still had the option of having like my husband's income as well. That's awesome. Yeah. That I did a similar thing when I started. I, I worked myself out of the day job. Like that's that risk adverse, that risk adverse piece of it. I have a question about your husband. How important has it been to your financial journey that you all have done it together? Would things look drastically different if you had done this by yourself versus how you, how you are where you are now? Like you said about that push and pull of, Hey, I'm going to take time now. I'm going to do this. You're going to float us for a second while I get this off the ground. How important has that been to where you're at now financially? I don't think we would be here now if we weren't on the same page because I I mean, I just don't know how it could work if one person's wanting to go out there and spend, 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 and the other person is trying to save as much as possible. Um, It would just lead to too much of a conflict, like in your personal relationship and you're not ultimately reaching the goals that you want to be reaching. To us, I've just found that communication has been the most crucial thing. Like we sit down every month and go through what that budget's going to look like. And we've kind of gotten to the point where, you know, now it's, it's pretty much the same and we don't really have to sit down. We just kind of know what those numbers are. But we did do that a lot when we were younger, especially when I was working on changing his mindset about what to do once the income came in. (laughs) So tell us about that, because I think most of the time, I mean, all of the time, you're going to if you're going to either be super on different ends of the spectrum or you're going to be like slightly off. Like that's the nature of being a human being. We are not all the same. So tell us a little bit about what it was like you know, how did you view it? Was it a lot of discussions? Was it frustrating? How did it ultimately get to the point where you are today, where you are um, more synchronous? Is that right? Synchronous. You're in sync. I like synchronous way more than <laughs> I can just imagine a band with that name. <laughs> <laughs> you heard it here first. <laughs> I feel like it was relatively easy because we, I just sat down and really mapped out the numbers for him so that he could see what we were actually bringing in after taxes and showing him those credit card statements and just walking him through it step by step and showing him, you know, hey, if we're going out and spending this much, we only have XYZ left over to be able to put into those retirement accounts. And remember what I was telling you about how we can max those out. And if we do, this is what we'll be making um, at retirement and be able to potentially retire that much sooner. And so just walking through it through him, he was able to you know, get it, I think, pretty quickly. But it's a give and take, too, because he taught me you know, about the Dave Ramsey and paying off um, our house sooner. That was something that I was not on board with at all when he first was introducing that idea to me. Um, But I think, I think it took him about six months of convincing me and getting me to read it before I changed my mindset around that as well. So if there's just something that you feel very passionately about and, um, you know, getting your partner on board, it's just something that you need to continue communicating um, until you come to the right agreement. 
Yeah. So are were you using a, a compound interest calculator and going and putting the numbers in and showing them that way? Is that what you used? Yeah, back in yeah. the day we <laughs> we got on we Google and just it's like the best tool. Yeah. Do you use what um percentage increase do you use? Like a seven percent every year to to look further out and project where you'll be. I hear all the time like some people use 10, which sounds really ambitious and optimistic. Um, yeah. So what number do you like to use? Yeah, I have heard that 7% is kind of that average number, but I'm a little bit more on the conservative conservative side when it comes to thinking about what that number is actually going to be. So we use 6% just to make sure that we do have that extra wiggle room. And should there be extra when we retire, then awesome. Let's go yeah, on all those extra trips I wanted to go yeah. on or you know, leave a great gift for our children. Yeah, that's great. That's awesome. Mm -hmm. My final question is, where do guys get shirts like the one you're wearing? Cat and <laughs> that something I can order? Was, that a, was that a gift? Yet? Is that something from start. your company? Yeah, that you need to start working. I need to because there are so many ideas I have for t-shirts. <laughs> I bet. I bet. That's a very good idea. Okay. Before we get off, tell us, um, we didn't even get to talk about sleep. We'll have to talk to you later about- Part two. <laughs> Part two. <laughs> yes. And well, and everybody should call you and, and get help if they need they need help. Um, no freebies on this show apparently today. <laughs> <laughs> so tell us a little bit about like where can people find you and um, yeah, how can they get in touch? Yeah. So you can visit my website at liveloveSleep.com or follow us on Instagram. I'm at baby.sleep.help. And I have a free sleep Q&A every Wednesday. Um, so if there's just you know any questions that you have, certainly pop those into the chat box on Wednesday and I can help to get those answered. But me or my team, we would love to work with you to get your child sleeping well. That's fantastic. Okay, we'll be following along. Thank you so much for sharing your story. It's hugely inspiring. And we just are so excited to share this with everybody. Yay. Well, I really appreciate you guys having me on today. That is it. That's the episode. Thank you so much for listening. Head over to Instagram and follow us if you do the social thing at Pitchwire. And for fresh episodes of the Pitchcast, head to pitchwirestudio.com.